Um, I can read the scriptures this evening because there's light here, which is a tremendous blessing, but it might be, um, it's, it's, it's bright. <laughs> uh, it's no warmer up here, though. Um, friends, we come this evening to look at a section of scripture which uh, appears in the Gospels in different places, and uh, uh, Randy kindly read to us from Matthew's Gospel, which is the section that we have read from. But I want to refer to, uh, for example, John's Gospel, where we see the same section of scripture regarding this lady called Mary, and regarding the uh, tremendous uh, thing that she did for Jesus when she bought this expensive perfume, a nard, whatever it's called, and, uh, and then she, she pours it on the feet. And of course, when we put the two sections of Scripture together, uh, we see that it was the head and the feet of our Lord Jesus Christ. So one of the things in Scripture which is always exciting to be able to look at is the fact that you often get comparisons between different situations, between different groups of people, between different individuals. And here in the section of Scripture this evening, we see very clearly some comparisons which should help us to understand more about ourselves as we begin to appreciate what is uh, spoken of uh, of these different groups. Now, the uh, story that we have or the account that we have um, contained here in, um, in Matthew's Gospel is perhaps not one that we would normally think on a, uh, a Palm Sunday as we begin to come into this period where we uh, particularly focus on Easter. But as I've said this morning... Uh, for the believer, for the person who has come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, for the individual who has been saved, then Easter Sunday is every day in our lives because we rejoice in the power of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. In fact, it's the power of the resurrection that enables us to live the Christian life. If Jesus had not been raised from the dead, well, of course, we couldn't be raised from the dead. So we give great uh, praise and thanks for all that our Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. In Matthew 26, we see... And we begin to feel, and if you like, we know that things for the life for the Lord Jesus Christ are moving through to the climax of his ministry. The king, because Matthew's gospel is all about King Jesus. The king is preparing to suffer and to die. The stage is set. The characters are in place. And the wheels, if you like, are beginning to turn and then suddenly we come here to Matthew 26, and Matthew inserts details of an event which are slightly out of chronological order. And the event that he is talking about, of course, is Mary as she comes and she pours this ointment on the head and on the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's almost as if there's a flashback for Matthew, and suddenly as he's been speaking about the events that are taking place, he goes back and he talks about something that happened a few days earlier, and he brings this event back uh, into um, the series of events that are taking place. So Matthew, if you like, takes us back to the events that took place in a place called Bethany, and he reminds us of this beautiful act that Mary performed uh, when she anointed the head and feet of the Lord Jesus. And then she does something incredible. She takes her own hair and she wipes the feet of Jesus clean. Perhaps as you think about that, it's strange. But we'll talk about it in a moment. And I think you'll see, and I hope agree with me, that it is a very wonderful thing that she has done. So all the way through this account, we find that there are opposing factions at work. We discover, of course, that the religious leaders are there right at the beginning 
their meeting at the same time as this meeting is beginning to take place. And we discover that they've got something else on their minds than the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the people assembled at the palace of the high priest who is called Caiaphas. And what did they do? What did they talk about? They plotted as to how they could trick Jesus and then kill him. That's what they were doing. And then we discover that this group of people that meet in Simon's house, they're meeting for a different reason. They're meeting because they want to show their love and their devotion to Jesus. So on the one hand, there's a group trying to murder Jesus. On the other hand, there is a group that are meeting to show their love to Jesus. The religious leaders had gathered to plot against Jesus. They had murder on their minds. But Mary only had respect and the deepest of love on her mind. So we begin to see these contrasts in the sections of Scripture. And as we look at this this evening, I want you to think to yourself, where am I? And you might think, well, you know, I'm not out plotting to kill Jesus. But it was our sin that held Jesus on the cross. And then we're going to talk about worship v. waste. What do I mean? Well, we're going to talk about Mary and the way that she worshipped. And we're going to talk about Judas and compare the two. Now, what an interesting combination to compare. And we're going to discuss how Judas wasted everything. Where Mary saved everything. The feast at Bethany took place uh, six days before Passover. We see that in John 12 and verse 1. The meal also, we see from the section of Scripture here, took place in the house of a man who was known as Simon the leper. Apparently, this man, Simon, had been healed by the Lord Jesus Christ uh, from leprosy. We also know from the Scripture records that there were 17 people who were present, at least 17 people who were present for this meal. If you like, it was a dinner party. There was Simon, there was Mary, there was Martha, there was Lazarus, there was the Lord Jesus himself, and then the 12 apostles, of course, including Judas. Now, there are three key characters present for this meal, and they're the three that we'll be looking at briefly. We're going to look at Mary, we're going to look at Judas, and we're going to see the response of Jesus himself. Matthew doesn't identify Mary here in this account, but when you turn, as I say, to John's Gospel, you find that uh, the Apostle John identifies her clearly as Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. Mary is found only three times in the Gospels. But I want you to note that on each of those three occasions, there's a place that Mary is found. It's a place of humility. It's a place of humbleness. And she's found at the feet of Jesus. And I got a feeling there are times when we should be prepared to come to the feet of Jesus. Maybe too often we come in our own way with a degree of pride, perhaps proudness. A sense of, Lord, look at me, what I've done, what I'm doing for you. And Mary explains to us very clearly 
and demonstrates to us that the best place to come is to the feet of Jesus. In Luke, Luke 10, verses 38 to 42, Luke tells us that she sat at the feet of Jesus and she listened to the word. She listened to what he had to say. And we too need to come and to listen to the word. If you find yourself reticent to pick up God's word, if you find yourself too busy to do so, there's something wrong with you. It's not God. You're the ones that have to make the time. You're the ones that have to see where your relationship is with God. God's word is precious. We spoke about it this morning. If we want to know how to live our lives, we turn to God's word. When we want to discover what our marriages should be like, we turn to God's word. When we want to discover how we bring up our children, we turn to God's word. And we're able to see so clearly exactly what he has to say to us. It was fascinating this morning, the number of people who just said, I've not noticed some of these scriptures before. Well, maybe we're not listening. Maybe we're not paying attention as we should. And so the first thing that we discover in Luke is that Mary is listening. She's listening to what Jesus has to say. And I hope and pray with all my heart that you're not just here tonight, but you're listening to what is being said. And you're hearing what Jesus is speaking as the Holy Spirit works in us. And then we come to John's Gospel, John chapter 11, verse 32. And here, her brother, Mary's brother Lazarus, has died. And when Jesus comes again, Mary falls to his feet, but this time in sorrow. So firstly, she's listening. Secondly, she's in sorrow. She's bringing her burdens to Jesus. And then here in Matthew 26, we find that Mary is worshiping. She's worshiping at the feet of Jesus. When she anoints his feet with expensive ointment and then wipes his feet with her hair. So I guess we can say there's absolutely no doubt that Mary was a deeply spiritual woman. She found at the feet of Jesus blessing. She also brought to the feet of Jesus her burdens. And she gave at the feet of Jesus her very, very best. And there are times when we need to do this as well. You see, unlike Judas and perhaps some of the other disciples, and indeed maybe you and me today, this evening, here as we gather and meet in this tent, Mary knew where to find blessing. Do you know where to find blessing? Do you know where to look? Do you know how to seek? The blessing which is given to us through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Mary knew the attitude that she should have as she came to Jesus. She knew the place to be, which was at the feet of Jesus. But I would suggest to you that she also knew a great deal about the situation that was taking place at this particular time. She knew something it seems that the other disciples had not paid attention to. She knew that Jesus would die and be buried. She also knew that his body would not need the traditional care given to the dead because his body would not see corruption. She had read the scriptures. She had understood what Jesus had been saying. You see, instead of anointing his body after his death, Mary anointed him before his death. 
we have here in what she did an act of supreme faith and love. And her action and demonstration of that love was noticed. It was noticed by everybody in the room because all of a sudden the entire room is filled with the fragrance of the ointment, the perfume that is poured on Jesus. Everybody knew what was taking place. Their senses told them. They could smell it. They could understand what was taking place. And of course we discover very clearly that what Mary did in that room affects us. Because here we are now in this tent and we're talking about what Mary did. Because Mary had an impact that reached the whole world. And I'd like to suggest to you that just for a moment if we were to close our eyes and to think and to place ourselves into that room that just maybe we could begin to smell the aroma of that perfume and to begin to see the emotion as Mary comes to the Lord Jesus Christ because she knew what to do, she knew where to be and she washes and she wipes the feet of Jesus with her hair. And so here we are, we're able to see the testimony of this dear lady Perhaps as we think of Mary wiping her, using her hair to wipe the feet of Jesus, we struggle with this. Perhaps it's too personal for us. But think for a moment. A woman's hair is very much seen as her glory. In fact, the scriptures tell us this. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 15 tells us exactly this. And you see, Mary surrendered her glory to the Lord by wiping his feet with her hair. And by purchasing this expensive ointment perfume. This tells us that she wasn't afraid to give Jesus everything. It cost her dearly. A lot of money. And then she wipes his feet with her hair. She gave all that she had to show her love and her worship to the king. But here in Matthew chapter 26, there's another character who comes onto the stage. And his testimony similarly is also known around the whole world. You can perhaps uh, read a book, switch on the television, and a reference to 30 pieces of silver comes up. A reference to a traitor appears. A reference to Judas and we use the term, he's a Judas, she's a Judas, or whatever, in our common speech, when we're describing someone who has behaved treacherously towards us. So Mary's testimony is known throughout the whole world. We're here talking about it now. It transcends time. It transcends everything. And here we are. And Judas, similarly, his testimony stands today. His name is synonymous with traitors. The other disciples seem oblivious to what Judas's character was really like. He was in charge of the money bag. They didn't seem to realize where the money was going. And his criticism of Mary and the ointment that she uses to wash the feet of Jesus sounded so spiritual, didn't it? Why this waste, he says in John. 
In fact, it sounds so spiritual that the other disciples join in the attack. They too become negative of this woman and what she has done. We've got to be careful, friends. Sometimes we listen to people who sound spiritual. They say good-sounding things. But what's their motivation? Sometimes it can be motivated out of selfishness or envy, out of pride. It can be motivated out of bitterness, greed. Because, you see, we know the real reason why Judas wanted the ointment to be sold and not to be wasted on the feet of Jesus. He simply wanted the money. John 12, verse 6. This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And he had the money box. And he used to take out of the money box what he wanted. Maybe the loose change, but it all mounted up. And he kept it. And as we come to this Easter time, I don't think any of us can escape and help but notice just how tragic a character and figure Judas was. But we must never walk away from him without asking questions ourselves. You see, Judas was called to be one of Christ's disciples. He was named an apostle. And if you've time, turn to Mark uh, chapter 3, verses 13 to 19, and you can read about this. Judas is clearly named there. The last in the list. But he's there. You see, Judas received power to heal people. And he probably used this power in the same way that the other apostles did. Friends, I want to remind you, it is not the power to do miracles that is the proof of salvation. But it is obedience to God's word. That's the proof. That's what tells us how we're living our lives, what we think of Jesus, how we're walking with God. If we disregard his word, if we redact it and change it and make it fit to how we wish it to be, then that means that we've come with the wrong attitude. And here's the lesson for us. Despite Judas' affiliation with the disciples and his association with Jesus, Judas was not a true believer. He was not saved. Friends, his heart hadn't been changed. But Mary's heart had been changed. Do you see the difference between the two? It was a matter of the heart. Mary listened to Jesus and took to heart his words. Judas heard Jesus speak on many occasions. He saw some of the most incredible things. He saw things that should have changed him as he began to understand who Jesus was, but he didn't want to. And his heart wasn't changed. 
He refused to submit to the Savior. He refused to bow to Jesus. Mary gave Jesus honor and she gave Jesus the very best that she could. Judas was a thief and he took all that he could. Why did Judas follow Jesus for three years? Why did he go and listen to the words of Jesus? And then turn and be a traitor. Why? Well, for one thing, Judas was not a victim of circumstances or a passive tool, if you like, of providence. Yes, it was prophesied that one of the Messiah's close associates would betray him, Psalm 41 verse 9 and several other places in Scripture. But this fact does not relieve Judas of responsibility. We must never make Judas a martyr because he fulfills prophecy, as some people seem to be inclined to do. Just because Scripture says that not all will be saved does not excuse us from seeking salvation. And crying out to God and calling on the name of the Lord for our salvation. While we cannot understand the mind and the heart of Judas, we do know that he had every opportunity to be saved. Every opportunity. He was exposed to exactly the same as the other disciples, the other apostles. He was warned by Jesus in the upper room. The Lord Jesus Christ even took a a towel and wrapped it around his waist in a bowl of water and washed his feet. He had opportunity. But he rejected it. Probably he was hoping that Jesus was going to be some sort of political leader and bring political freedom. Perhaps he was thinking to himself, if Jesus establishes kingdom, then I, Judas, I'm in charge of the money now. I'll be the treasurer for the whole kingdom. Perhaps he had visions of grandeur that he wanted, and he would be in that place. As Jesus repeatedly refused to become a political messiah, Judas turned against him. You see, for Judas, Jesus was not the sort of savior he was looking for. And Satan found in Judas an opportunity. Satan put the ideas into Judas's mind. John 13 verse 2 tells us, And supper being ended, the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Friends, Judas's life is a warning to those of us who pretend to serve Christ but whose hearts are far from God. Judas is also a warning to those of us who waste opportunities and indeed waste our lives. Why this waste? 
asked Judas when he saw the ointment being poured out on Jesus. But look at the waste in Judas's life. Look at the wasted opportunities he had. Look at his wasted life itself and his soul. Jesus called Judas the son of perdition. John 17 verse 12. What does that mean? Well, it literally translates to mean the son of waste. Now, we briefly look at the last character on the stage here in this house. Of course, it's the Lord Jesus himself. And Jesus immediately comes to the defense of Mary as Judas begins to say the things that he does. Why does he do that? Because Jesus always comes to the defense of those who belong to him. Each of us who have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he comes to our defense. Because that's one of the wonderful things of the Christian life. We're not alone. We don't face the world alone. We don't face all that the world throws at us on our own. He lives in us. Those who know him, those who have been saved by his blood, Jesus rebuked Judas and indeed the other disciples and he praised Mary for her act of love and devotion. Friends, do you ever show love and devotion to Jesus? To him as saviour. Mary's act of worship not only brought joy to the heart of Jesus and fragrance to the whole house, but also, as we mentioned earlier, blessing to the entire world. And her devotion encourages us to love and to serve Jesus with our very best. Jesus didn't criticize the disciples because they were concerned about the poor. Jesus was concerned about the poor, and we should be concerned about the poor as well. What Jesus did do was to caution them against missing their opportunity to worship him. The poor will be there tomorrow. But your opportunity to meet with Jesus and to bring your worship to him may not be there tomorrow. You may not have that opportunity. Your opportunity to kneel at the feet of Jesus could soon be gone. And you wasted it. You see, your heart can become hardened. Every time you come to church and you hear the gospel and you're not interested in it and you shut your ears up and you stick your fingers in and so far it begins to hurt because you don't want to hear, your heart becomes hardened. And your opportunities are missed. Perhaps your life will come to an end sooner than you think. And for all eternity, your opportunity to kneel before Jesus will be gone. So this evening, I urge you, please, do what Mary did. Kneel at his feet. Repent and turn to him. Place your trust and your hope and your belief in Jesus. Live for Jesus. Submit to him. Surrender all to him.
allow him to live his life through you. So don't let another week go by without opening your heart and following the commandments in Scripture to repent of your sin and to turn to the Savior. Do it now. Make the most of the opportunity that is given to you. Call out to him. He will save you. In fact, as I've said it so many times, not one person in all of history who has called to the Lord for salvation has been turned away. Not one. So you have hope because he loves you and he wants you for his very own. And the Christian life is the most exciting life we can lead. It brings great joy even in times of sorrow, in difficulty. But if we have Jesus in our hearts and in our lives, and if we trust him with our hearts and our lives, then we're able to see him at work. So this evening, make the most of the opportunity that is presented to you and place your trust and hope 